Welcome to the Marshall Pro Podcast and your week in sports cars listener Q&A show. What part is this, Graham? Is it part one? It's. It depends on how you measure your week. It's, a, it's the third one in seven days, but it's part two for this week. But if you're listening to the very first one of these, then none of that information means anything, no. and it's Jesus. the first. So this is indeed our second recording of the week. We had enough questions to warrant a carryover into a second episode here. Also, as we mentioned in our previous episode here a couple days ago, Graham, a lot of new question years, a lot of new Ooh. folks asking questions. So wanted to pay tribute to them by making sure those did not get buried. So here we are, second episode in a matter of days, at least here in the good old U.S. of A, Graham. It is the day known as Black Friday. The day yes. after Thanksgiving. Oh, you've handed where, that one over to us as well, like a poison yes, chalice. Yes, where uh, c- commercialism and um, greed and savings all <laughs> combine into just horrible treatment of one another, at least in person. Uh, and then what would we have? Is it Cyber Monday? Uh, you know, all these stupid-ass names. Uh, where, in theory, you buy a lot of things on discount through the interwebs this coming Monday. But based on the volume of emails I had in my inbox this morning, Graham, I would suggest that's already started as well. So Uh, if you're done trampling people to get a discount on a television or cookware or whatever and finished applying your (laughs) coupon codes to your digital online shopping purchases, hey, do we have a show for you brought to you by Cooper Tires. The Justice Brothers in Toronto Motorsports.com. That's what yeah. I got to say, Graham Goodwin. What do you have to say before we uh, get rocking and rolling here on part uh, two? Not a great deal. Uh, just, to, just to say, do say, I would, would say, by the way, um, it's a belated happy Thanksgiving to everybody that we know and love across in your fabulous nation. Uh, Thanksgiving, obviously, not something that, uh, that translates terribly well here in the UK. It's not been exported in the same way as. Halloween and diabetes has, but other than that, you know, it, we, we rock on. Uh, I hope everybody's had a fabulous day. Um, I, I suspect if it's anything like our nearest equivalent, there's some very happy pets in the, uh, in the Pruitt household. Yes. We've got Rocky here. I was mentioning before we started recording that almost every day of the week, there is, if you break the day into morning, afternoon, and evening, our cat Rocky tends to pick at least one of those uh, where all attention is required to be funneled in his direction. So awoke this morning, Graham, to mm-hmm. a caterwauling Rocky uh, sitting yeah. outside of our door. And that would be the bedroom door, not like the front door. That'd be weird. Um, and it was conveyed to me through his actions that this was a love Rocky morning. Sometimes we have love rocky afternoon. Sometimes we have love rocky evenings. This is a love rocky morning. So lots of attention, lots of everything, lots of playing with him. Uh, he's, I think, topped up with at least three belly rubs so far. So he is currently snoring his little domestic short hair behind off on my right. Uh, and so I think we're ready to go. Uh, the attention hoarding cat that is rocky. He just recently turned 11 years old. Uh, I think he's, uh, yes, dialed down uh, the revs on us 
And now we can maybe sneak into the show. I think so. By the way, Oscar was six last week. What? He was six years old last week. Are there any motor racing podcasts and maybe more specifically sports car related podcasts that talks speaks as frequently about our pets as you and I, no. I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a feature. No. Cause when I think of features that comes with a positive <laughs> connotation. So it's a feature well, well, of the show. Uh, we're unique in that we have listener questions in the more than the singular as well, which is always good as well. So, you know, that, and we've, we've got another bumper bundle. And by the way, Thanks so much to Daniel Summerskill for not only doing this once this week, but doing it twice this week. Um, and by that, I don't mean anything in any uh, way incriminating, Daniel. Uh, you be the judge. Uh, but I mean providing us with a beautifully create, uh, curated list of questions from our wonderful listeners. Amen. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we continue to the tradition uh, crafted in the last episode, which still might not be something folks have listened to but uh i think i spent almost the entire episode hurling questions at you uh okay like a can we do the same gibbon at the zoo <laughs> who, with the overactive digestive system uh let me do the same here at least to start okay. the show uh, okay. we'll pick up the topic of customer cars in the weckety weck that's the mm. new official name for the championship by the way uh they've ditched everything else hashtag everything. Yeah. yes still debating a little bit on the accurate spelling of that uh but weckety weck primarily uh our pal ollie u15 one of the mm. stranger models of a german so submarine under from, 15 well no it was a mm. abstract submarine from world war ii produced <laughs> by the germans ollie u15 says do you think cadillac will run a second car in the fia weckety weck in 2024, Graham, with mm -hmm. all the major manufacturers likely running two cars once we get to 2024? I think the answer, Ollie, as a factory effort, is probably not. Um, there's a good reason for the strategy that Cadillac have taken in splitting the effort, particularly the Ganassi cars, one of which will be in the WC in the coming season, one of which will be in the GTP class of the Inter Weather Tech Sports Car Championship, and that is... The rules are pretty clear. If you've got a full-season car, you re can request another for the Le Mans 24 hours. Now, whether or not Cadillac will request one or whether or not um, the uh, whether or not we might see all three Cadillacs at Le Mans is yet to be seen. My guess, and it is a guess, is the latter. I think we'll see all three. Uh, I, th I think the, the Entente Cordiale um, between... Uh, IMSA and the ACO, and bearing in mind in particular who owns the uh, Action Express squad, um, would see that as being the sensible move. And I can't think of a single person, other than the person who owns the car that's going to be the 63rd on the list, that would disagree that that's a fine idea. Um, I don't think... So, so to answer the question first, no. I think if they're going to continue in WEC... There is no reason for them to double up and every reason why they should, um, you know, continue to have that leverage to get a, a second car in for Le Mans. Um, for 23, possibly uh, an even more interesting car is two or three at Le Mans. I think it's going to be three. I don't think it will be the only squad that requests three. And I can think of at least two others that might. Wow. Well, why don't we keep going here? 
on this general thread with uh, another pal. Thank you, John Foreman, for being Mm -hmm. a regular contributor to the show. And definitely want to urge folks, if you happen to be a listener and you happen to have questions, we love it when you send those in for the first time. Also, Graham should mention here something that thousand percent my fault. Uh, How do you send in questions for the show? Not by direct message, not by postal service. At some point in time during the week, and we like to think we do this every week, but sometimes we can't because we're a little bit busier than expected. But in general, first couple of days of the week, sometimes Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are the, the more common days than others. Take a look at my Twitter handle, at Marshall Pruitt, at Graham's, which is at DSC Editor, both on Twitter, where we put out a call for questions. All you do is reply. Uh, just post a comment there and in reply to the call for questions. And then the other format, one where you are not locked into shorter questions, as you are with those 280 character limits on Twitter, if you go to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page, yes, Facebook, that old-timey thing for old grumpy folks, um, if you head to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast page on Facebook, at the same time we put out the call for questions on Twitter, we do the same on Facebook. Although, Graham, I know Facebook was fighting you a little bit this week uh, to do that. I, I loathe it more than words can say. Yes. So, anyways, that's the other place where we put out the call for questions. Just reply there to that thread. And our pal Daniel, Sum- Daniel Summersgill, as I uh, get accustomed Daniel's, to the Daniel new, new, new lips that I just purchased, still uh, <laughs> breaking those in. Uh, Daniel will, though, then go and grab uh, what he sees on Facebook, on the tweeters, and tries to organize things in a nice, very, very constructive fashion for us to discuss here on the show. So uh, we need to remember to do that more often, Graham, because I'm sure more yep. folks would send in questions if... Uh, I remembered to tell them how to do it. So sorry, I suck. All right. John Foreman says, Hey guys, long time. No ask, but this one has been driving me nuts. What are the chances of a McLaren LMDH happening in 2024 or 2025? He said, Zach Brown at Bahrain United Autosports seems ready to step up. Ollie Jarvis is in their camp. Am I reading tea leaves or smoking them? Enjoy the off season. So why don't you give us a little catch up here? Because I know you know all the answers and can tell mm-hmm. us the exact dates and times, drivers and teams. McLaren, GTP, LMDH, what is, what isn't, when, where, why, and how? Well, let's, let's get into the things everybody knows. Everybody knows McLaren, or particularly Zach Brown and many people at McLaren, would love to do this. Are they edging towards it? I think they are. In answer to the question, what are the chances? Literally 63.25%. Uh, slightly facile response. Literally. But, uh, I, think the, I think the answer here is I expect this will happen. Whether or not it will be for 24, 25, I think is a very open question at the moment. You have to say the longer this drags on, the less likely 24 is looking um, but I'm, I think it, it, there's the detail that John's pulled out there. Zach was indeed at Bahrain. United Autosport are champing at the bits, and you would have to expect that this must be the deal that at this stage they are closest to. I do like the 
correlation with the extremely talented Ollie Jarvis uh, in their camp, and uh, he's been a very loyal soldier for them too. Uh, are you reading tea leaves? I think you are. Are you smoking them? Only you can tell. Um, I would expect that. Th- th- let's let's be blunt here. This is the most likely um, existing something other than truly boutique brand to add themselves to the list. They're not the only ones that are, are there in the mix, but this is currently the most likely one to be added to what is a, already a hugely impressive roster across the Weckity Weck and IMSA. Um, and I hope that we will hear more uh, sooner rather than later. I expect that we will hear more, and I hope that what we expect to hear is a positive response to this one and that we can start talking in terms of the reality of a program and a timeline. We're not there quite yet. Uh, There's clearly an awful lot going on at the moment. McLaren, much as it is a historic and very significant brand, have got their fingers in an awful lot of pies. They need to get their fingers out of that pies. It's unhygienic and make a decision on whether or not we're going to see that brand back at the top level of international sports car racing, where I hope they will be. They are, I'll be blunt, they're the brand that got me to Le Mans in the first place. It would be delightful to see them back. And, you know, I do like uh, the, the, the drawing of the conclusion there with United Auto Sport. That is a team that absolutely deserves to be in the top class. They are equipped with excellence, and you can sort of feel that they're champing at the bit to join some of their peers and a couple of who've, who've leapfrogged the queue as well uh, to be, you know, where they want to be and where I think most of us want them to be, which is in an increasingly impressive hypercar and or GTP class. Um, that's going to be an interesting part of it, MP, isn't it? If Indeed. the come, what do they do? Is it going to be just WEC or is there going to be some kind of alliance that brings the brand to at least some, if not all, of the IMSA Weather Tech Sports Car Championship races too. So here's the thing, better than 50-50, uh, all kind of uh, facetiousness to one side, better than 50-50, there are clearly significant parties working hard to make this happen. Um, and whilst I have heard people tell me the deal is done, I'm not sure that's quite true yet. I feel like I'd also be safe in saying, Graham, if we went and found a episode of the weekend sports cars from, or I don't know, maybe November 25th, 2020, uh, we might have been able to find the same exact conversation with almost the same exact details yeah. in it. Uh, and I yeah. don't say that in a critical way towards McLaren, but when this does happen, which I think we're confident it will happen, this will be one of the longest confirmation uh, vehicular confirmation pregnancies that uh, I can think of in quite a while. So obviously hoping that everything goes forward, we do get a McLaren LMDH slash GTP, et cetera, et cetera. Just feels like this has been sitting there uh, close ish, maybe closer some points than others but just feels like this has been sitting here for a long time waiting to be converted into reality i would guess 
the foray into Formula E would be the thing that we probably point to and say that's why this aspect of McLaren's motor racing activities in sporty car world, prototype world, has been on this not quite front burner, not quite back burner, but just there. Uh, I I think that might be the, the most logical answer as to why we still have yet to confirm. They're obviously launching with this next, the upcoming season of Formula E. That will be McLaren's debut there. My guess is once that gets up and running, and hopefully they see all the value that they hope from there, positive feelings internally, uh, that might be the the trigger point where we do finally get a, okay, here we go. We'll see you in, name the year. Um, Is it 24? It seems like that might be a little bit uh, faster than than I think they would be able to put something together. But 25 uh, seems like 25. And coming back to that customer car angle, we know that Lamborghini, right, among the five LMDH slash hyper, uh, I'm sorry, GTP constructors that are confirmed, four of which obviously are launching here, uh, the Rolex 24 at Daytona in January, very first race. Lamborghini will be coming along a year later. Of the five, we know Acura said not right now in terms of customer cars. BMW, that feels a little bit remote possibility from them. And again, we're not talking next year. We're just talking, looking down a little bit down the road. Uh, Cadillac seems, as you've already discussed, seems like there's uh, some doors that could be open there. But again, we need to get through at least a season. Uh Porsche obviously has been the one and only of the four that are hitting the track next year in competition to say yes and sell cars, even though we don't think any of those customer cars are going to be on track to start the season. They've also said they intend to add a couple more in 2024 as well, so that's great. Lamborghini, from the outset of this discussion about doing a uh, LMDH GTP car, has said this is never meant to be a full factory deal this is meant Mm -hmm. to be in partnership with a team or teams uh that being something where the partners put up a lot of the money for this to happen and so they've come in obviously with the mindset of oh yeah uh, we're not looking we will not be doing a pure factory effort this will be done from day one as a co-entry with a a privateer team that becomes kind of our works partner so I would expect that to expand a bit in terms of vehicular availability. All that said, at least from my perception, Graham, tell me if the same if it's the same for you. Every time I've spoken to Zach Brown about this, it has never been we're going to do two cars for ourselves no. in IMSA and maybe two in WEC and to heck with the rest of you. I think McLaren might be the real true customer minded program come and get them (laughs) hot cakes fresh off the grill come and get them uh we're gonna not necessarily be a crazy high volume supplier because i don't think any brand will be but i think they might be the one gram if i'm looking to 2025 ish where if you've been wanting to get into lmdh and or gtp that might be the one route that's easier than any other because I think that's the the mindset they've been taking so far. Does that align with uh, what you've seen and heard? I mean, I mean, yes and no. I I think they they would be looking to do something with a lead team. I mean, here's what we don't know yet about, and not just about McLaren, 
is whether or not they'll use effectively a high-profile factory, semi-factory, call them what you will, project to stimulate the interest to make this more sustainable. Uh, do I have any doubt that if McLaren are going to do it, that there would be a pretty short to-do list of, of calls to be made? No, I, I think that the, the answer there, as far as the Wekity Wex is concerned, that, that's a list of one. And no, but, no doubt that they'll have you know direct works affiliations. Uh, that yeah. I, sh- I failed to say that. We've expected that all along. I just think they're going to be the ones that are more open to just doing no, higher volume sales than anyone else. I, I, I think, you know, that's, that's, I think, that's going to be the process, and we've said this before on Twist, haven't we? That's going to be the process that defines this era back to the point where Group C became a success for as long as it did, which is principally, but not exclusively, but principally Porsche making a success out of a top-class prototype not just as a factory effort but with a variety of different iterations of the customer model as well and that means both in group c and in gtp and answer as well so that's going to be the 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 next process i think here across what happens in imsa and what happens in weckity weck that defines how sustainable this is going to be it's going to be just how accessible how um maintainable is this product for a customer team that that's why the the early experiences of the likes of jota jdc miller proton competition with the porsche is going to be so important to define whether or not we're looking at a formula here that can be sustained over two three four years or frankly five to ten years uh, which i think is easily doable with you know a little bit of evolution through the uh, the regulations and the homologation process but to make that doable mp they've got to keep costs under control the customer service levels have got to be absolutely top notch and the way in which the regulations respond between the pure factory teams and the customers have got to be absolutely above question there can be no um question that anybody's loading the deck here uh you, if you're going to be spending the kind of of numbers that are going to be required to run one of these cars you sure as heck better be absolutely confident that what rolls off the trailer and rolls in and out of your garage has got just as much of a chance of competing um before you put a spanner on it as anything that rolls out the factory team there we go john foreman thanks for cracking that open Hey, we got a number of questions here regarding drivers, okay. lineups, uh, lineups, and drivers. We also have mm. some regarding car counts, LMP2, um, just scrolling through, and then just a bunch of random-ass questions, which I love because I'm a <laughs> well, random Would, would you like guy. me to rattle through some of the driver stuff? Is yes. that helpful? Yeah, well, you might I mean, even throw one back at me. Well, I'm, well, I'm going to throw one back at you because um, you, you put out the, the a great story on racer.com uh, about Scotty McLaughlin um, and a program that's coming together there. And I'll say this out loud, and please don't be individually offended by what I'm going to say, dear listeners. Well, this is the end of the show. Some right people here. out there do need to read a story and read it properly because – there seems to be an awful lot of people that seem to be pointing 
feeling that was pointing in a direction that it fundamentally wasn't pointing. So, uh, I mean, what what can you tell us? Let's, let's let's get into that one about that story for starters. Can, can I be clear? You are not pointing anybody even remotely close to the galaxy of Scotty McLaughlin in a factory car, were you? Uh, this no. year, no. No, no. And I think that was bl- bluntly. There are people that should know better. They were putting out the prospect that that was what that was pointing towards, and I didn't see that at all. Huh. Well, uh, I'm going to do this because you know sometimes actually reading the words that were written, um, at least from what some folks have suggested to me, yeah, helps one to understand what <laughs> what is and what isn't. So yeah. let me do this uh reading words that are a little bit old now when did this go up november 18th okay a week ago fair enough uh hey i'll just straight up read things off the page here uh let's close with what could be a fun one if and when it gets confirmed usually when i write stuff like that in a silly season piece or whatever it's a way of not wanting to make things too solid because then that gives teams and drivers and whomever little sense of comfort um they often get really grumpy when you say it's 100 percent done period uh when they haven't announced it yet so just so you know it's a little stylistic form of writing uh usually when i say if and when it gets confirmed it's already a done deal uh team penske scott mclaughlin took to social media this week to tease his need to learn daytona's roval circuit from what i've learned he'll be competing in his first rolex 24 at daytona in january okay so Here's the divining part in this. In the LMP2 class, there aren't pro factory teams there. Even better, I'm told it will be a hashtag bus bros themed driver lineup with Penske teammate Joseph Newgarden in the same car. For those of you who follow IndyCar, you might know that uh, Scotty and Joseph have a show that they launched this past season called Bus Bros. So that's what that reference applies to. And if that isn't enough of a party, the final bit might be the coolest of all, Graham, as McLaughlin and Newgarden are said to be continuing their LMP2 adventure together after Daytona, where they're meant, there. Yes, where they're meant to make their debut at the 24 Hours of Le Mans in the middle of June on the Great Endurance Events 100th anniversary. Now, here's the part where maybe folks took a left or right turn from conversations I've been part of regarding IndyCar grade drivers being considered for factory GTP seats at major endurance races. Most manufacturers have been very strict, Graham, in their requirements for the McLaughlins and New Gardens of the world to first gain experience in similar cars at big events before the door would be open to racing in those factory cars at Daytona, Sebring, and Le Mans. This has a similar feel. Assuming everything moves forward for Penske's IndyCar stars at Daytona and Le Mans 2023, and with it, and it's with an excellent LMP2 team, I would not be surprised to see their names listed as enduro drivers with the Porsche Penske Motorsport GTP program or one of its customer teams in 2024. So, no. Yeah, it's that attention to detail. Uh, I, 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 and again, I'll say this out loud, not directed at any any particular individuals here. But No, um, this is directed at Dave. 
Dave, Dave <laughs> knows who he is. Dave knows. Yes. Uh, it's, it's this simple. If uh, I have a, a hashtag I would like to get into more common parlance. We've got a few, haven't we? You know, uh, that we use Coming here from a place of zero knowledge Indeed. might be hashtag the greatest twist. hashtag you've ever created, by the way. Uh, hashtag CTFL would be the one I'd like to get into uh, common parlance. And that is hashtag click the link. Yes. Please stop taking your information from somebody else's 280 characters of somebody else's journalism. You know, uh, it, it's a great story. It's a great tale. It gives a lot of, of um, detail that is only available in that story. And yet when I've looked at social media around the discussion about that story, it is blindingly clear that the vast majority of people discussing it have never read the story. That's the key. So please click the link. Yes. (laughs) I like that new, that new hashtag there. That um, one works. I'm going to, I'm going to run forward with this, this general theme and this time it's Stuart Hart who's saying, can you expand on which big name drivers are in play for hypercar seat in 23, 24? We know the names without a current race seat, but it wouldn't make sense for all of them to step away from racing completely. I think the answer here, Stuart is with the exception of Antonio Giovinazzi, who I think is very firmly in the focus of, um, Ferrari. I wouldn't be remotely surprised to see that. It would be lovely to imagine that the likes of Seb Vettel and Danny Ricciardo and others would be shoe-in for some of those seats. There is a bit of hashtag wait and see. There's another there's hashtags uh, around this. Would any of them be very welcome? I think Danny Ricciardo is less likely to be in the frame now with his recently confirmed you know, third-wheel uh, part at Red Bull. Uh, I think he's less likely. I would be delighted to welcome Sebastian Vettel to the WEC paddock or indeed to the Brokes 24 paddock, and I think he'd be a great fit. Do I expect that we might hear and see of them being involved in conversations or even a test here and there? Again, hashtag coming from a position of zero knowledge. Yeah, I'd like to think that we would. Why? Because I genuinely think this is an absolutely viable place that they could come racing that they would love the experience. Great cars, great races, great racetracks. And not only that, that they've also got in their um, electronic roller decks enough people that they can talk to, stand up Alex Verts, stand up uh, Mark Webber, stand up Nico Hulkenberg, that will tell them exactly what that process, what that atmosphere is like. And I think, you know, we can see even from the public profile of a couple of those guys that they would indeed be a good fit. Whether that happens immediately in 2023, I think, is a much bigger question. I cannot believe that there won't be some significant names that are not going to be interested in finding out whether or not there's a way for them to be at the centenary at Le Mans. Well, I think we're more likely to see is more likely to see one or two of those people coming to have a look before committing for 24. That, I think, is a more realistic prospect. You know, whether or not, for instance, and by the way, again, coming from a position of, of zero knowledge. Hashtag. Yeah. Would be pretty cool, wouldn't it, if we had someone like Sebastian Vettel um, wielding the green flag? I think he'd be very welcome. 
and that would get tongs wagging, wouldn't it? Uh, so do I expect there to be a galaxy of recently ex-Formula 1 stars on the grid? No. Do I expect there to be a little bit of a recent ex-Formula 1 talent uh, coming through the mixer for 23? Yes. Do I expect that we might see more of that in 2024 when there are going to be significantly more seats available? And by the way, the bugs will be out of those cars. And by the way, 2024 is going to be completely awesome. Yeah, I think at that point, I'd be almost surprised if we didn't see one or two very, very big names indeed. Uh, so the great part of this rolling storyline is that we're looking for 2023 with this burst of new cars and an amazing uh, event in prospect in June of next year and the Rolex 24 where we're going to see uh, I, I guess more new cars debuting uh, Marshall than we did since the beginning of the DPI era and more still to come the year after and then in 2024 the the ripple of that is significant so looking forward to all of that be assured there are plenty of people looking in that paddock or those paddocks right now. And that's not limited to just factories, to just privateer teams trying to get their foot on the ladder. This is a formula that is exciting a lot of people. And I think that is the truly exciting part of this one. It becomes at some point greater than the sum of its parts. And all of you out there, by the way, have got a role in making it deliver that by engaging with shows like this, by engaging on social media, by going to those races, by taking friends with you on that journey. You know, I think sports cars is about to explode in a good way. And uh, do I think the likes of Messrs Vettel and Ricciardo could be part of that? I hope they are. I hope they are. Uh, because I think they could be massive ambassadors for the sport in exactly the same way as some of their peers have been before them. So let's hope that's the case. But I'm not sitting here waiting with any level of expectation for a massive surprise that we're going to see uh, some of those names in for 2023. I think 24 is more realistic than that. John Schultz, by the way, at Johnny Trotz, uh, moves on with uh, with someone we have got in sports car racing, or at least GT racing at the moment. Um, John says he was a bit surprised to see Valentino Rossi racing in GT3 for another year instead of progressing to LMP2. Do you think we will still see him in the LMDH car in 2024? Um, Valentino, as a lot of people do when they transition to a new formula, and his it's a very new formula for him. He has done some GT3 racing before, but not at this level of intensity. Certainly struggled, didn't he? Uh, moving to a new brand is with BMW and WRT now. Look, he's not with WRT by accident. And the transition to... BMW isn't just about he didn't get on with the Audi. It's all about LMDH. It's all about that that potential to move forwards. Would I be surprised if we saw Valentino Rossi in an, in, an LMP2 car at Le Mans this year? Not in the slightest. Not in the slightest. That would not be a surprise to me. I, you know, I, I suspect we might find that they're looking for a route to make that happen. Uh, and that would, of course, be delightful. Um, is he yet at a stage where he could put in a viable head to head stint in an LMDH hypercar or GTP car? No, no, he's not. 
And here's the thing, he knows that, and that's not something that's going to make him happy. So he's going to be pushing hard. Uh, look out for what the plan might be with WRT and the Doctor, and let's hope that that can be part of something truly, truly special as we move into 2024 when WRT bring the BMW efforts to the WEC. Because here's the other thing. Yeah, could he be part of a factory effort? Maybe. There's nothing to say that there can't be a third car somewhere with a partner team. And I, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I can almost taste the fact there are storylines to come that will have this show, and for that matter, the internet, exploding. Uh, but it's going to take some time to get there. We, we need to be patient. We need to lap up what we can here in terms of the positivity that we know is coming and anticipate the fact that make that a success and it just rolls forward with more positivity. Why don't we, speaking of rolling, why don't mm. we roll through uh, as many questions as we can here in a very swift capacity since we're now a little bit past a half hour into okay. the show uh let's see we already covered off Stuart. you covered off john uh neil jemmy yeah uh i'm gonna let you try and pronounce this fine person's name okay so clock is um what happened to neil jenny well here's the what happened to neil jenny um i think he made a bit of an arse of himself at the end of 2021 uh he so. wasn't a very happy bunny in the aftermath of that and that tended to indicate that there was something pretty edgy about the prospects of him moving forward with porsche i spoke to neil uh at sebring where he won he was the late replacement for can't remember now but he was a late replacement and uh, took the the win there he told me he had had an offer from porsche but it was a gt3 offer from porsche and he wasn't interested in that. Um, so I think there's been a degree of um, huffiness between himself and his erstwhile employers at Porsche. Uh, he's got another uh, opportunity at the moment to make a little bit of a splash by the look of things. But um, to be blunt, he, he, I think he needs to take whatever opportunity he can to show the talent he undoubtedly has and to show that he can do that with a smile on his face. The, the the thing that I think every driver needs to understand right now is there is no shortage of people queuing up for these seats. Not one, uh, not, not any shortage at all. And you've not only got to be quite special in terms of what you bring to the performance in the car, but you've got to be quite special in terms of what you bring to the efforts out of the car. And in particular this year coming, where... If you're going to find there are going to be challenges that a team needs to work together to overcome, it's going to be when those cars are new. And I suspect, bless him, I've got all the time in the world for Neil. His talents are undeniable, but I think he needs to show that he can be a little bit more level-headed than perhaps he was under pressure at the end of the 2021 season. Neil's a uh, fairly fiery guy. Oh yeah! Despite yeah. the big smiles, uh, yeah, Neil. There's uh, an edge. <clears throat> that's and I like often that. Often, what makes a great race car driver too. Yeah, I, I, absolutely, and it is that thing about the balance, isn't it? And this is the difference, by the way, between 
what potentially makes a truly great single-seater driver and a truly great sports car driver. A truly great sports car driver needs all that focus but needs to know when it can be switched off and he has to get into teammate mode. That's sometimes where it can go a little bit wrong. And somewhere on the road in 2021, it went a little bit awry for Neil. And I think he's got some work to do to claw back some of that energy and some of that that kudos that he absolutely earned over many, many years with Rebellion and then with Porsche. Um, I hope he gets back back there because he's, he's a very worthy uh, recipient of the, the term factory driver. Um, I hope we, we hear that he's he's got good news to come. Let's see. Why don't we go to Connor at Connor Hink 3. Who do you expect to replace Jaminet and Campbell in the FAF Porsche? Don't have an answer for that immediately, Connor, but I do expect those drivers to have Porsche affiliations mm-hmm. for sure. So one cool thing I would say about FAF's explosive success, they are certainly a factory caliber team and oh, home. Yeah. And while I appreciate their ability, whether it's winning uh, all the everything, getting all the flowers in IMSA's GTD class or this past season in GTD Pro, and also appreciate their long standing love and affiliation with Porsche. This is a team that if I'm talking about one over here, Graham, at least Mm -hmm. that could be easily converted into a factory GTP effort. I think they jump out to me more than anyone else. And that's not because we're good friends with them. They've just proven to us that in a wickedly short amount of time, they're capable of coming in and just getting the business done. So I say that uh, just coming back to Connor's question in that I don't know the names of who will be confirmed, uh, but I can tell you I would expect them to fall along the lines of what we saw last season, that being uh, Porsche factory drivers. I think what was meant to happen here, Graham, in 2022 was for FAF to go from being a true privateer uh, into a works-ish effort. I mean, they ran the whole team, don't get me wrong. It's not mm-hmm. like this was Porsche Motorsport behind their GTD Pro program, but at least the onboarding of of two of full factory drivers, that was the clear expression of uh, the Porsche factory's uh, commitment to them. I think what was done in 2022 was really just a primer and tune-up, which we've discussed before, to help uh, Jam Jam and Cam Cam uh, just get more miles together, uh, cover off every IMSA circuit, etc., etc., all leading in, all focused towards GTP, getting ready for this Porsche 963. That was the impetus for this shift up to GTD Pro with FAF. My impression was it was meant to be a one-year thing. Do this, mm-hmm. do it with Porsche, then we're going to go back and uh, just continue being our beautiful Canadian selves. I think this is now an extension. This is now something that's going to be extended into a a second year of this. I don't think there's going to be the prototype slash 963 element uh, to it, but I do think this is, at least for 2023, going to be something where 
the Porsche factory says, you know what, let's, let's just keep supplying drivers and, uh, let's go and try and win more races together. So I think that wrinkle is new. Uh, I'd have to confirm it with the team, but that's the impression I've gotten, which tells me that's how things are supposed to work, right? You go and do incredibly well and folks recognize and react and say, let's continue doing that. So look to factory drivers first, Connor, and that's probably where we're going to get our answers here soon with their uh, night of champions. Uh, Graham Hornet at H the, uh, Mm. number zero, not the, the letter O, uh, at Hornet. Uh, underscore says, are there any rumors about Robert Kubitz's future in the WEC? None that I've heard. Uh, it's been a while since I've caught up with Robert. He's just been kicking along and doing his thing and, and being generally awesome without really <sighs> tsunami levels of performance. But again, that's not particularly a reason why he shouldn't be uh, on the call list for a number of um, options moving forward. Pretty clearly, he would like to be in a top-class car. There are a number of options that remain for him to do so, uh, particularly when you're getting into 2024. And I think there's a lot of uh, teams, drivers, manufacturers, etc., that are looking in that, those kind of directions. But I, I will say this. I've not specifically heard his name shouted in relation to a particular seat. Um, he is in a large group of people with undoubtedly the talent to fill those seats where Robert has got a definite edge is his ability to um, mobilize some of the commercial punch that, that is needed to make some of those deals happen. Do I suspect that we will see him heavily linked with um, one team or another? Yeah, and I could probably give you a couple right now that that might be, but I'm not going to do that. Um, I think I know where we're going to see him rocking up in 2023, and that will give a pretty major clue as to what the pathway is determined for, that they're, they're aiming for for 2024. Let's see, where do we go here? I think Statis's question's a good one. Yes. It strikes me as one going your way there. there. Statis, uh, and I'm not going to pronounce his name because I always mess it up and, um, and make myself more Kokor Giannis. Statis, good to hear from you again. We know that Acura isn't coming to Le Mans. They're not coming in 2023. But is WTR, Wayne Taylor Racing, pursuing a 2024 effort? Maybe. I believe they wanted to go to Le Mans. They left Caddy. They wanted to fill two cars at Le Mans next year. Uh, given that everyone wants to go to Le Mans, why Acura don't want to? Well, Acura, Honda don't want to go this year because they want to focus on IMSA, correct, MP? Yes, 100% there. Um, I need to get a deeper insight from Wayne. Uh, We actually texted uh, yesterday. Um, He'll be back from vacation. Been a nice long vacation with family in South Africa. So I'll get a little bit more on this, Stathis, next time we speak. I do think it is very safe to assume the moment uh, the door opens for WTR to head to Le Mans, they absolutely will. Uh, yep. Same with Meyer Shank racing as well. So Shank's been there, did well-ish mm-hmm. in LMP2 uh, in their one outing in that uh, in their gold Liget. Um, 
they're both burning to go back uh, as individuals under the blanket of Acura, which I do wonder will that turn into Honda, uh, the name be changed to Honda uh, if they compete at Le Mans, knowing that Acura is uh, an American sub-brand. Um, they want to go as individual business, business owners, and we know that Acura is certainly fond of Le Mans, has a rich history uh, at Le Mans. Uh, so yeah, I would say 2024, as you've pointed out here, and I think as we all have expected, probably the first opportunity that that would happen. Guarantee you, though, the moment that door opens, uh, they're going to want to go. I think for Shank, it would be more as a racer, Graham, wanting to go. Mm-hmm. I think for Wayne, on top of, you know, he's a hardcore racer too, but I think from a commercial standpoint for Wayne, that might be one of the bigger draws as well. Or I shouldn't say as well. That might be the bigger draw for him, being able to showcase his sponsors, give them a big platform at Le Mans, potentially to be seen and promoted through. Not as if uh, Meyer Shank Racing sponsors wouldn't have the same potential. But yeah, I think Mike just wants to go to, to win first and foremost and any of the commercial advantages from taking part in the world's biggest endurance race that would be secondary i think those things might be co-equal uh forms of motivation for taylor it's, it's gonna be an interesting one and, and, and here this is where that process of having a full season effort in the fiwc leading to the opportunity to invite a second car um is very active so what we should be looking for in 2024 is there a, a an accurate customer emerging in the weckety weck and i am aware that there have been conversations principally in the direction from teams talking to honda rather than acura because that would be the way it would work um but nothing close to a conclusion at the moment it's not to say things can't happen uh, there are those out there would like them to happen uh, that's one, I think, to watch as we get into the early months of 2023, because if it's going to happen, it's going to have to be to be blunt, done and dusted at the very latest by the middle of next year. I feel the need to mention this, just having taken a look at the very kind uh, Friday night film night posting that you've done here, brother, and looking at some of the uh, old in-car bits that I don't want to say I'd forgotten about them, but just that posted them a long time ago. So they haven't been fresh on the top of my brain. I made a note here. Find ALMS CDs. And those actually might be DVDs. I think they're DVDs. So I might have my nomenclature wrong, but I have a binder from 2007, 2008 American Lamar series. I believe they contain every in-car camera captured um, during both of those seasons of any and all cars. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was when I was working for Speed, and Speed was in partnership with the America Le Mans series, not only from a broadcast standpoint, all of the races were aired on Speed, but also on the uh, the digital or the news side as well, there was a separate arrangement. And uh, the fine, fine reporter, uh, pit lane reporter, Jamie Howe, uh, mm. she was actually 
yeah, an employee of the ALMS and overseeing this relationship. And so she uh, sent me massive stack of all those uh, in-car DVDs, just the raw, uh, yeah, raw footage basically well, of all uh, whatever vehicle it might have been at whatever event over those two years, really to me, the, the true golden years of the ALMS. And well, so I need Graham uh, to, to find, find that those time. and then upscale those to uh, HD sizing. Oh, well, you've got a bit of time, so just to uh, <laughs> fill in the gaps with what Marshall's just telling you, this is uh, first of what will be a series on Daily Sports Car, Friday Night Film Night, something that Stephen Kilby used to do in his time uh, with us. Um, and that is just a selection of video goodies from Marshall's YouTube page. Do look at, uh, uh, out for that one, and do subscribe, by the way, because you will get those sent to you. And this is a, I think it's half a dozen or so, uh, in-car um, excerpts, uh, Johnny Cocker in the Drayson Lola at uh, Laguna Seca. There's the last to first run from the Wee Scots, uh, Alan McNish, after his appalling error at Petit Le Mans. Um, it's the only way he could possibly save his skin and any semblance of a career he, he might reasonably have had. There's the late, very great and much missed Alan Simonson in the Ferrari 430 at Sebring, Michael Valiente, uh, in the Corvette DP, and I'm forgetting one, I think, but all great stuff. And we've got at least two more uh, Friday evenings selections from those. And I know, MP, you're continuing to upload stuff. Um, some fabulous stuff on there. There really is. We are spoilt, you know, for the kind of streaming video and audio content that's available uh, now online. And uh, this is just a bit of an offering for us as the nights are drawing in here in the UK and across Europe. Um, that uh, there's some things there that you can sit and watch with by yourself, with your loved ones, with your mates, and hopefully take some pleasure in how racing used to be. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Kevin Perez Federico says, with Colin Brown going to Meyer Shank Racing, did any other members of Core Autosport get picked up? Uh, I don't have the answer to that, but uh, if Graham takes the next question and answers yep. it himself, I will test yes. Michael Shank and ask him and maybe get a uh, live in-show answer. Let's do that. Right. Well, let's go for a couple here on uh, car count. Sam Blunden. Hi, Sam. Says, is there a limit to the total number of entries that could compete in a WEC weekend outside of Le Mans? Is this limit imposed by the ACO simply by the number of pit carriages at any given track? All sorts of restrictions. The principal one that tends to be an issue for WEC, itty WEC, um, is the logistics issue. It's how many cars can they uh, carry between the two races. It used to be, um, you know, on two 747 freighters. If To give you a for instance, and there's a, there is a piece coming on Delhi Sports going the next few days on this one. Uh, the, let me get this right. I think I'm right that the full season entry for, for WEC this year was announced as 37 cars. But outside of Le Mans, we never had 37 uh, because it involved what eventually, and I think we already all knew, always knew was going to be a um, part-season Glickenhouse efforts and the half-season Penske efforts that finished with the LMP2 car at Le Mans. And then, of course, those two cars sort of left, apart from Monza, and were replaced by the incoming Peugeots. There was a there was a crossover at Monza, 
So realistically, I think you're talking at around the 34, 35 car mark for a full season grid. The other reason why that is capped, by the way, is because the uh, Wickedy Wick entry uh, also gives people the the right to a Le Mans entry. Um, because of the flexibility that is required by the ACO uh, for this to be an invitation race to encourage development of their racing pyramid, to encourage the uh, the continuing goodwill between uh, the ACO and IMSA, and for that matter, to give the opportunity for factories to potentially bring uh, a, a second or a third car, uh, that you can't just keep adding cars to the WEC because you get into a problem with it just effectively being a longer WEC round, and that's not what the Le Mans 24 hours is. So if you think around the 35 car mark, uh, there are some restrictions in terms of some of the pit garages. In fact, for the very first time at Fuji this year, uh, WEC used the B pit lane or B pit garages. There is a, a gap between the main pit building at Fuji and another row of garages i think we had three maybe four cars in those uh this year uh so it's around the mid 30s is what you can expect for a full season in wc and watch out for a piece on daily sports car that is half complete or try to get it done by the weekend my guess is it might be for monday which explains where we expect that to be for the 2023 season i think we can get pretty close to what the grid is likely to look like um when the selection committee and those decisions are made and we hear about what's going on um, in a few weeks' time. Uh, beyond that, uh, Ollie, you, uh, Ollie, you, uh, why, don't, why don't we do this, Graham? Oh, you've got an answer. This just in. Happy Thanksgiving, says Mr. Shank. He also says, as of today, we have not, but we are talking to folks, though. So, okay. look at that. That's great stuff. Happy Thanksgiving, Mike. Um, he's proper people, isn't he? The best. Uh, it, it's, you know, it, people are looking for talent without a shadow of a doubt all the time. Every race team is looking for talent. And by the way, if you are one of the guys and girls at Core Auto Sports and that was bad news for you, better days will lie ahead. I'm absolutely certain of that because they're good people. I'm sure they're looking out for just exactly what the skill set is you've got. And we're in an expanding industry right now. And my hope and expectation, MP, is there won't be terribly many people left terribly exposed for very long. And, yeah, there you go. That's that one. Um, all of you, how many races should there be on a WC calendar in your view? He thinks nine to ten races, all pretty local to each other. For example, Sebring, Austin, Mexico, Bahrain, Abu Dhabi. Maybe I know Yasmarina isn't an exciting track. I disagree. I think it's great. But the more races, the better. The answer is not the case. The more races, the better, because the element you've missed there is someone's going to pay for it. And at the moment, with the way in which global, um, as uh, by the way, as I speak, breaking news. What? Ryan Hardwick confirmed joining Proton Competition for the Le Mans 24 Hours. So that decision has been made. Uh, he will be driving a Porsche, tested an Aston Martin at Bahrain, Ryan, and he gets the uh, the automatic invitation, courtesy of his success in IMSA with Wright Motorsports uh, this 
season just completed. So congratulations to Proton and congratulations to Ryan that that decision has been made. Tested the car, by the way, at Portimao on the day after the European Le Mans series, but wanted to try uh, the other options before he confirmed. And uh, that is now confirmed. Um, going back to the, the Wecky Wet calendar, you're sort of forced into a template at the moment for WEC by the fact that air freight is so expensive, cripplingly so, and that the options for sea freight are fairly limited. That's why, as we've said before on Twisk, we've got the calendar clashes that we've got, principally the Monza and CTMP clash, is that you can't really pull the Monza date closer to Le Mans because you need that recovery time for the supply chain and you can't push it further away because that is your go date for sea freight to get the cars to Fuji. So unless and until a uh, an answer can be found to the thorny issue of finding the money to pay for the air freight, which is significantly in advance of the sea freight cost, that's the template you're stuck with. What does that mean? That means that realistically, if you're going to add a flyaway race, you're sort of forced into the position where that flyaway race has to be local to one of the others. And there are only three. There is Sebring, there is Fuji, and there is Bahrain. And my guess would be the most obvious place that you would add a flyaway race if that's what's coming, and I'll talk about the numbers and progression in a moment, would likely be in the Gulf region where there are a number of emerging high-quality venues that would dearly like to welcome the World Championship. More likely, I think, than a second US race in close uh, proximity to Sebring, and more likely than the second race in Japan, as things stand uh, at the moment. As for what we, we through COVID, of course, we've been there with six races. That's been, you know, a uh, a decision taken to do with the logistics, etc., and the the difficulties that everybody's been facing on budgets. We moved to seven in 2023, and the intention is that we should move to an eighth race in 2024. Uh, but as I say, as things stand, I think we are still going to be in the world where um, the there are going to be gaps between uh, the last race in Europe and the the first flyaway race of the second half of the season, which I'm guessing will remain as being Fuji unless a change comes, and that's unlikely when you've got Toyota playing such a strong part here. Nine or ten, I think if you were to ask both LMEM and most of the, the competitors, Ollie, they would disagree that nine or ten is where we want to be quite yet. Okay, going to rattle through a couple mm. final ones here to close the show. Brother, let's see. Uh, Nagaraj Shinoy says, you've spoken about LMP2 and ELMS. Mm -hmm. Full power mode, Graham, after phasing them out of uh, WC. What do you think? Is that possible for, uh, for that change there? He also says, uh, if and when that happens, wouldn't they be actually faster than, say, the LMH and LMDH cars at most circuits due to their lower weight, higher downforce, and with the... Uh, without all the power handicap the uh, top class faces? Uh, the answer is, uh, in, the, in the case of the latter, in some cases, possibly yes. But I'm of the opinion here that, well, number one, they're not racing against the LMHs and MDHs. Number two is there's only one circuit they will share on the calendar. Putting Le Mans aside and Le Mans would be different. 
and that's that spa and i'm gonna introduce a new hashtag here which is hashtag who cares um you know so they're quicker on that circuit they're not competing against those cars on that circuit we're talking about an era here of balanced performance and there is if you like a false cap here for the um the the hypercars do i dream for a single moment that there's any single one of those manufacturers bringing hypercar products to the wec that couldn't go quicker than balanced performance allows them to not for a single nanosecond so to be clear as to what i believe the framework is likely to be here we expect that the coming year 2023 will be the final year for lmp2 for the full season of the wackety wack and after that it will go to european le mans series potentially uh, imsa and the asian le mans series and i have sources that suggest that we might see the performance of the LMP2s back boosted back towards the kind of levels we know they're capable of. Whether or not entirely the, cap- the level, we don't yet know. The complication is that those cars would still be racing at Le Mans. There, they would need to be stratified, performance restricted against the uh, the hypercars. That's been the way things have been done. And that's been a reasonably successful process. You know, we've not seen LMP2 cars, other than for the first lap or so, getting themselves involved terribly much with the hypercar battles. And that's going to be more the case as we get a deeper hypercar field. It does raise the question as to whether or not you might see the LMP2s that have been invited to Le Mans invited to do perhaps the Spa WC race in a stratified form so that everybody involved gets an opportunity um, to practice that stratified racing, if you like. That that warm-up race for Le Mans has more relevance, doesn't it, in that case? And if, if that were going to be the case, MP, I think the only major change you'd need to see would be that you'd be running the entire two pit lane. Pit lane, if you like, the, the endurance pits for the LMP2 teams being added to the uh, the, the run through the pits. So it just it's a different... Uh, race, if you like, that we've seen previously. But I think it could be quite the draw. You'd be talking there, you know, mid-40s of uh, or more of cars on that grid uh, if an invitational LMP2 class was added to Le Mans, to, uh, to, to Spa, by the way, for 2024. And I'd like to see that happening. I think that could be quite cool. It also, by the way, gives those LMP2 teams an eight-race season uh, if they're LMS, race, uh, LMS teams, the six LMS races, the Le Mans 24 hours, and a single WC race. And uh, I'd like to see that as being the common sense solution. Damien Peachman says, does the closing down of Richard Meal Racing affect Signatex plans for next year? No, I think it enables them. Uh, I think, you know, Richard Meal Racing uh, finishing their three-year program, uh, that confirmed earlier this week. We already knew that in preparation for Alpine coming to uh, to wet with two new LMDH hypercars in 2024, that the Alpine team, having retired now the A480, the X Rebellion LMP1 car, we're going to be back uh, with two LMP2 cars. Richard Mill Racing was run by Signatech. All this does is it frees up the opportunity for Signatech to have two cars branded as they wish. And my guess would be that Alpine will be involved in that branding again, as they were before the hypercar program for them so i think what it does is it recognizes that we're moving forward now from 
the original idea behind the Richard Mill Racing effort, the all-female crew. We are seeing more uh, female drivers, more into the general population. Might we see young Lilo Wadu aboard one of those Alpine LMP2s? Hope we do. Um, I think it's part of the evolution of this. Uh, you know, I think thanks are due to Richard, excuse me, <coughs> and Amanda Meal uh, for their foresight with that programme. Um, but better days to You're come. You're getting choked up. That's so, I mean, I know. so sweet of you, Graham. Uh, let's see. Where do we go? Divorced. A divorce pilled single guy. Ooh. I don't even want to know. There's a story there. At JTR6 underscore nine. What's going on with driver ratings? Seems like the FIA was moving towards consistent standards for bronze and silver. Then reverse most of the changes. Does the FIA have a plan here? From the outside, it looks like they have no idea what they want for the AM categories. So okay. let's go ahead and just acknowledge driver ratings are something we've never really discussed, Graham. Uh, <laughs> never really put any time into this. We, you know, I don't even know if we have an opinion on this, but uh, uh, yeah, are I you do. willing to venture <laughs> uh, into the breach? The first thing I'd say is that I do disagree. They've reversed most of the changes. They've reversed some, but not most. There are one or two in there that are somewhat controversial it's fair to say um do they have a plan i think the answer is they are trying to provide a hard border between professional and non-professional drivers but they're struggling with it and and you know i'm still of the opinion that they do need to take a couple of steps further away from this process and redefine it rather than trying to fiddle about the edges because they do appear to be putting themselves into a world of pain uh, notably, we've got a number of people that lobbied for these changes now having to find their way around those changes. So for me, there is one worrying aspect to the changes we saw from the uh, from the changes under review. And I'll say that loud, and it's not going to be that popular with a number of our listeners. So strap yourselves in, which is I'm not entirely convinced that it was the correct thing to do to reverse the proposed changes for a couple of the Iron Dames. Um, I don't think that was a smart move. I think showing that the the girls' progress in performance, which is undoubtedly there, is not being reflected by the process, smacks of the kind of tokenism that I hoped everybody involved on both sides of this debate were looking to avoid. And... Having lived in a world where I've been, you know, in the paddock for the ELMS and the FIWC throughout those programs, both the Richard Mill Racing program and the Iron Dames program, where there was unremitting positivity about the aims, objectives and achievements of that program, I have had more negative comment socially pass my way by people I, I like and respect in motor racing since the decision to reverse those changes than I think I've had at any point prior to that. The reality here is there is a degree of politics involved in that decision, and I don't think that was very smart at all. I think that has probably taken a step back. And whilst that helps the, the team concerned it's not gone down well with some of their peers in any way at all. And I don't think it's just sour grapes, by the way. 
I think there is legitimate reason to ask the question as to whether or not the same rules applied. And here's the point. That's what this is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about, uh, about um, performance on an evil, a, le- a, evil, a level playing field. It's supposed to be about showing that you can achieve, given the same rule set, against your your peers, whether or not they are blessed with the same genital organs as you do. It, that, that's not what this is supposed to be about. The, the reality here is that's not what happened here. And I think that's a, that's a mistake. I hope that's recognised, and that's a mistake. This is not a slight against any individual concerned here. I simply think this was a mistake in terms of the lobbying process that clearly came into play. Um, the, the reality is that people of equal merit went up from silver to gold or from bronze to silver, and a couple didn't. And that's that's not going to be a good thing in terms of the message that we should be taking forward with that process. My pal Oscar Love at Angry Oscar mm. Love asks, what is happening with the Mustang GT program? I'm missing something. Well, not really, brother Oscar. Uh, that's a 2024 debut. So, yeah, not missing anything. They're still testing and preparating and developing and getting that ready for uh 2024 debut so yeah just a little over a year away let me take a quick final scan here uh abdullah at dukaba says prototypes are obviously the apex of sports car racing graham but what Ooh. is the defined entry level that's a great question. So if What's prototypes are cracking, the top, a, a cracking question. Yeah. What um, is the, what is the entry point? He asks he or she, but I assume he, um, GT four TCR fun cup, uh, du chevaux. That's my submission. Um, what is the, the entry point? If we got the top to find what's the, the well, bottom. I, I, it's a great question. It's a really good question. It's not an easy question to answer. I mean, uh, You've, you mentioned sports car racing, Abdullah. You could just as easily have said endurance racing. And, and the answer to endurance racing is a significantly more foggy um, answer, isn't it? So, you know, you could say one-make racing. If, if you talk about GT racing, the answer is club racing, et cetera, et cetera. One-make racing, a variety of, of, um, of platforms available from the kind of the Tota GT86 Cup, which I think is it GR Cup, which is now part of the SR America package, I think. I or no you've clue. got the Mazda MX-5 Cup, which is all sorts of awesome uh, in terms of the performance levels there. Coming up through the variety, you've got the new McLaren Euro Cup. You've got the Ferrari Challenge, the global things there, the Super Trofeo with Lamborghini. And, of course, you've got the um, the absolutely global presence of the Porsche 911 Carrera Cup platform. That I would say is probably the entry level for most that most people define. From there on in, yep, GT4 and mixed class racing, um, and then uh, then onwards and upwards. As far as prototype racing is concerned, I think realistically now um, you're starting with LMP3. Uh, that's really where most of the international racing starts with. It's proved to be a remarkably um, cost-effective, resilient, 
economic platform. And whilst the numbers aren't absolutely massive worldwide, its impact on the way in which a semi-pro or pro team can climb the ladder has been pretty profound. And, you know, we're seeing more and more love coming its way from a variety of particularly kind of pro-am squads from around endurance racing, including people, by the way, choosing to use that as the platform to move from uh, GT racing, whether that be GT3 or any point south of that. So great question. Um, There are lots and lots of places you can go endurance racing with a platform that is significantly more modest than a TCR or GT4. And I'm looking at you, 24H series. I'm looking at you, uh, VLN. And there's equivalents with the likes of NASA, aren't there, in uh, the States MP. But all sorts of ways you can go racing with something that's not necessarily an FIA homologated class, but, you know, a fettled production car. But it's certainly fair to say it's something that's been a, a theme MP from the very beginning of Twisk. Fewer options than there used to be. Yeah, no doubt. Graham Goodwin, take us home. I will do indeed. It's been a delight, MP, to actually run through many more of these questions we've been able to get to uh, in some recent weeks and months. And thanks again for everybody that sent them in. Thanks again to Daniel Summers-Gill for putting them together in such short order. Uh, Look out, as MP says, for the call for questions that should be going up uh, in the early part of next week through Twitter and the awful Facebook. Um, For now, though, we're going to say thank you not only to you, our listeners, not only to Daniel, but also to, of course, the continued loyalty of Cooper Tyres, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com, without which it would be significantly more difficult to make this happen. I'm going to say thank you as well to you, MP, uh, for your continued engagement with, with what is a highlight in mine, and I know a lot of our listeners' week. Uh, we're going to say goodnight for now from the Weekend Sports Cars, part of the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. We will be with you next week. <laughs>